Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week, we are presenting to you Armadeus, as chosen by you, the audience, to mark the life of the film director, Milas Foreman, who passed away last month. Joining me to review Armadeus, we have, as always, two guests, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film is Anna Weir. Hello. How are you, Anna? I'm well. Good. It's been a while since we've had you on. Yeah, how, it has been. How has everything been? You were um, costume designing at Whopper? Yes. Well, costume technician. Technician. We don't design, we make. Ah, okay. Okay, I'm going to make that correction now. <laughs> You're a costume technician. Yes. And how has that been? Good, good. Getting busier and busier, but it's good. Excellent. And you've not seen Armadeus? No. What do you actually know about Armadeus? Literally nothing. I know nothing. I was thinking about it on the way over and I realised I've, I've got nothing. Do you know who it's about? I can hazard a guess. Go. <laughs> Mozart? Yeah, she's on. Yep. She's oh, good. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If we got that wrong, that would have been so embarrassing. Yeah. Yes. No, it, it is a film about the life and times of Mozart, as told from the perspective of his great uh, compatriot slash rival, rival yeah. uh, Antonio Salieri. Oh, right. Um, mm. And yes, the other voice that you can hear as our guest who has seen the film, it's Jason Dolly. Hello. How are you doing, Jason? Very good, Stephen. How are you? Good. Amadeus. Amadeus. You've seen it. Yes, I have. I have also been in it get out of town yeah i mean i knew this but get out yeah of town. you did yeah we were talking about it yes no i was in a version of amadeus about what's seven years ago seven years ago. what's 2018 minus 2011 mm. um yeah that excellent <laughs> and um so when when did you last actually see the film um it would have been around that time i think i watched i didn't watch it during it but i think i watched it about six or eight months after it. I don't tend to like it's maybe just me being odd but I don't like tend to like to watch if I, like, I'm doing a film version of something I don't tend to like to watch the actual version until after it just because it kind of colors things so um, for instance I did a biography play about Jane Austen without and I played Mr. Bingley without ever watching Pride and Prejudice so I would have played Bingley completely differently to how I would have had I seen it. So I see. So yeah. you, you you just don't want to colour your uh, potential interpretation with no. someone else's. No, and I think also with Amadeus, it's mostly different. The main kind of threads of the and the Salieri Mozart rivalry are kind of the same, but a lot of the stuff around it tends to be kind of fixed. And the framing device for a play, you know, a lot of framing devices for plays never work as a stage. As a as a movie, so there's some changes there that I'll probably go in on. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it because mm. I've I've only seen the play. 
Yeah. Um, I saw the recent National Theatre version, which was then broadcast um, at the Lunar Cinema. So I am really curious to see what this film version looks like, mm. um, particularly uh, because obviously we're, we're looking at the work of uh, Milas Foreman, who um, yeah. obviously One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, The People vs. Larry Flynn. Yes. Yeah, he's, done, he's done a lot of very well-known films, but Armadeus is the one that the people wanted, and so... It is the one that we will be watching. Uh, so shall we jump into it? Yes. Yeah, sure. All right. For those of you at home, grab your DVDs and your concertos. The first musical word I can think of uh, as we prepare to watch. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Armadeus. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Armadeus. Yeah. And by we, I of course mean Anna Weir. Hello. And Jason Dolly. Hello. So, Anna. Yes. Uh, it was your first time watching Armadeus. It was. What did you think? I I liked it. I really did. I really did. Mm. Um, it was long. It correct. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think it was entirely what I expected. What were you expecting? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Maybe something. I think because I watched um, the Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette film fairly recently. Is that the one with Kirsten Dunst? Yes, the very uh, modernised, yeah. sort yeah. of hip version. So maybe I was expecting something a little bit more like that, mm. which we did not get. No. But no. it was very good. I mean, we had that everybody who is living in Vienna in Austria has American accents. Yes, yeah. So that's kind of this level of modernization. That's about as far as it gets. But that kind of gets like if every actor has it, after a while you almost just forget about it. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, well, I guess that's just how they talked. Yeah. I found that as well. And that was a deliberate choice from the creative team was that the the Austrians um, um, w- would have that, that American accent and some of the other upper class characters. I think maybe even like the, the German characters um, mm. had the British accents. Or the, or the higher class. Yeah, the higher class yeah. ones. So, yeah. the, the emperor was a little British. He was. Just a little. Yeah. But he was mostly American. Yeah, he sort of faded in and out. Well, I think because there's also um, at the beginning there's that debate that all the characters are having yes, uh, yeah. about whether you should have something in Italian, which is the language of beauty, or German, which is just crap, and everyone hates German apparently. Yeah, it's in, even the Germans, especially yeah, like, no, the no, Germans. No, no, it's not good. Yeah, they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't. No, we don't want it's that. An, what's it? The guy says it's an ugly language. So. Uh, brutal. Brutal. Brute. Yes. Or yeah, brutal. Brutal, or something yeah. like that. Which is someone who speaks German, I find... Um, Fairly offensive. <laughs> I wouldn't say offensive, I was going to say misleading. But it isn't the it isn't the cutest language, I'll give it that. Yeah. No, I mean, well, I mean, its reputation, just by and large, is that it is full of lots of very hard noises, or hard yeah. consonants and things of that nature. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, hmm. I, I, I realised, I said previously that I hadn't seen it, um, <laughs> but it turns out that I had seen this uh, seminal work from Milos. Yes, we also have to adjust, we have to uh, mention that we've learned that his name is not Milos, it's Milos. Uh, but yes, I was shown this film as I think an eleven or twelve year old, as part of high school music uh, lessons when clearly the teacher didn't have a, a plan for <laughs> for three lessons. Um, because I remember that that very strong opening of um, Salieri having just attempted suicide having slit his own throat mm. and lying on the floor or sitting on the floor of his apartment holding the knife yeah. ha- and having screamed out the name Mozart 
Mozart! And then uh, so begins the longest confession of all time. <laughs> uh, in, um, in well, we covered everything, so yeah. that's yeah. good for a confession. <laughs> From childhood right the way through. Um, yeah, we, to we being see... happy that his dad died. Yeah. Or... Salieri oh, is yeah. um, confessing to a priest, basically saying, you know, why he's been. He basically confessed that he murdered Mozart, and everyone's gone. Um, Did you though? Seems crazy. And he went, no, no, no. Let's see how I destroyed his entire life by seeing his entire Damn life <laughs> and how <laughs> I exhibit a everything. Yeah, but so I, Mozart was born. Yeah, well, it pretty much does start with Mozart yeah. being the childhood prodigy going around. Um, we we hear stories about how he asked Marie Antoinette to marry him as a six-year-old, that that sort of thing. Mm. And at the same time, we see Salieri. Just being kind of a normal kid. Yeah. Um, with was his fa- father a cobbler or something like he, that? His father was a merchant because he, he uh. talks about how he prays for good trade or something. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Um, but obviously, Salieri has the ear for music and he's mm. there going, um, I I want to be a musician. I want, well, not a musician. I want to be a composer. I want to do this. But in order to do this, my father needs to let me, but his dad doesn't let him. But it doesn't matter because his dad chokes to death on a piece of meat yeah. not long after Salieri makes that prayer. That pledge that to pledge, God yeah. to be celibate and to be his instrument. Mm. And Salieri sees this as a sign from God. Like, great, I can be a composer. And so he goes to Vienna, the city of composers, and becomes one of the... Um, court composer. Well, he's, he's the court composer. He, he's yeah. the court composer. He is the Emperor Joseph's composer. Does the king actually ever call him Salieri? Or is it, did he just always call him... I mean, he called, No, he calls him Salieri a few times, okay. yeah. But generally, you know, on official business, it's like, you know. Court composer. What do you think, court composer? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just repeating lines that I remember from the play. <laughs> <That's> all right. <laughs> In fairness, though. Okay, this is a question. So you've yeah. done, done the play of Yes, this. I have. And I saw the, not not your version, sadly, but I did see mm. the National Theatre version that was done recently. Um, how long was the play that you did? Shorter. Yes. I think shorter, including intermission, if I'm totally ah, honest. That's impressive. Um, how, just to summarize quickly for everyone um, about what the kind of the differences are, there's a few less characters um, and a lot of scenes that, a lot of scenes that especially felt quite modern in this, um, they did tended not to be in the play. Um, every other scene that was tended to have like much more kind of classical dialogue in ah, it. okay. Like scenes like when he goes backstage to see his pupil who and he's like, ah oh, no, they've they've you heard Mozart have been getting it on. That like that how she's like, Oh, I don't give it to and all that modern language, that mm. tends not to be done. But what will happen in a scene is kind of starts not before Basically, while Salieri's in his madness before he cuts his throat. Mm. And it's him just go, like, explaining to the audience. His audience becomes his confessor. Mm. And he goes, let me, basically, let me show you. And then he kind of whips up um, these two characters with the Venticelli, um, which were the ones I, which one of the ones I played, which kind of helped narrate the story with him. They kind of work as these kind of official, like, gossips, which will kind of give information. So Mm. instead of showing, like this very long story about how Mozart fall, falls or something. They will literally just come up to going, oh, Mozart's... Mozart's he, been drinking Mozart's again. Mozart's been drinking again. Mm. Oh, they everybody hates him now. Oh, mm. isn't that funny? Like, mm. very, sucks. very gossipy and giggly. <laughs> um, I promised I would do this too, and this seems like as good a point as any. I have a photo 
of what I looked like. Oh. In in the costume because um, at that point, if anybody's ever seen me, I have dark hair, kind of longish, and a beard. Mm. Anna, I'm just going to get your immediate reaction. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I it, showed Stephen earlier. So. I, I have seen this picture before. It's a very different look. That's for Jason. quite a good wig, actually. It is. It wasn't bad. It was this That's little good, ginger yeah, blonde that. thing. Um, and uh, with your permission, we'll put that up on the Facebook yes, page. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll have, we'll have contemporary Jason. <laughs> Versus um, Amadeus Jason. Yeah, Amadeus Jason. Yes. Um, so, okay, so while we're on the subject of uh, looks and appearances, Anna. Yes. The costumes. Mm. Oh, oh, they were just... It's it's funny, you look at something like that and I suppose as someone who works on costumes, half of your brain is going, oh my goodness, like that's beautiful and those colours work together and... The silhouettes are just perfect, but there's the other half of your brain going, oh my God, how long did that take? <laughs> Someone had to sit there and make all of it. Because obviously with something that is so period specific, you can't just go to Target or Kmart and no. get, you know, source what you need. But mm. no, they were really, really... But it's funny because um, you can often tell with films, even with specifically period pieces, when they were made, whether it's by sort of you know you can look at the quality of the film and tell from things like that but there's one scene where because i wasn't really sure when the film was made and then uh, mozart's wife the scene when she's in bed and you see her without her wig for the first time and i kind of went oh i bet this was made in the 80s because that actress has an 80s haircut mm. Mm. and it's little things like that that just kind of slip through the radar and can not that it you know has any detriment to the film but it almost dates a film and you can go oh yep i bet that was made then because of you know that weird fringy thing and the feathered hair that she had yeah um this film did win the academy award for best costume design as it yep. should have it was phenomenal uh, theodore pistak good for him yep um but of course we only really care about the uh, the, the costume technicians <laughs> not the costume designers so, the costume technicians do mm. the work Yes, we've, oh, we've learned guys. that, haven't we, Stephen? <laughs> we have. Why have I said it 3,000 times this evening? <laughs> but so have our listeners. So yes. there we go. Um, and this, I mean, yes. <laughs> the other uh, Academy Awards this film won, by the way, uh, Best Makeup, um, yep. Best Sound. Oh, well, uh, that feels like cheating almost. What, because they got Mozart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. They're like, we know who'll be the best well, composer. It's, it's, like a, it's like a version of Midsummer Night's Dream winning Best Screenplay or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? Technically, though, Best Sound isn't music. It wasn't. It wasn't no. technically nominated the best score. In fact, the person who did win best score in uh, the, that that Academy Award said, "I'm really glad that um, <laughs> Amadeus was not nominated." <laughs> so it was nominated for eleven. It was, Dang. which is one of the well, it's equal highest with like, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it was, Lord of the Rings and Titanic yeah. also got eleven. The full list of didn't Lord of the Rings win eleven? They won oh, eleven. Yeah, man. and what, what Titanic year. fourteen Four. nominations, eleven wins. Fourteen. Wow. Yeah. Far out. Uh, the full list: best picture. Obviously, yep. uh, best actor in a leading role, F. Murray Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, of course, uh, killing it. Yeah, Mozart as well. Yeah. Um, Tom Hulse. Yes, there was also nominated. Who to... I realised was also the voice of Quasimodo. Oh. Yeah, I think, I think he was mm. in the Hunchback. I think yes. he was. No, I think you're right. If actually. he wasn't, I take that back, and I'm sorry. Uh, best director, obviously, for Milos Forman. Um, it, best writing screenplay based on material from another medium. Because, of course, it's an adaptation. That's a very specific category. Yeah, they have to get specific sometimes. <laughs> and uh, Best Art Direction slash yeah, Set I Direction. Definitely. Uh, decoration. Uh, yeah, and the ones it was nominated for, uh, aside from Tom Hulse, was also Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. 
uh, which, but it didn't win for that. And that was something that we, we were discussing as we were watching this. Mm. Um, yeah. That the the editing style and the way the shots were put together didn't quite feel um, elegant. Yeah, elegant. And I'm. Yeah. I'll be honest, I have not seen a lot of um, Milos Forman's films. I haven't yeah, yet seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> oh, the reason I, I voted for that. this one is because this well, is the only one see, I've seen. See, but I have seen that, but in that movie it works extremely well mm-hmm. because you are in sort of a mental hospital that's mm. A, not going well, and B, you're inside the mind of a man who is not going well. Well... The same with this. You're in yeah, a mental hospital, so kind and of... you, I think I guess Milos Forman has a has a style. He yeah, wants he's to like, do like, oh, things. this works. Was Larry Flint in a mental hospital when he recapped like the People versus Larry <laughs> Flint? Right. We'll, we'll have to go find out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it it is interesting though that I mean, it was nominated, so it was still seen as being very good. And yeah. mm. I, I personally think that some of the shots in this are really well done. I mean, the shot that really stands out, having just finished the film, to jump to the end, is the shot of the last shot of the pauper's grave. That oh, Mozart's that was been dumped. Just, that was a lot. And you've got the 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 uh, you know the rising smoke from the the white powder that's been thrown in to help dissolve the bodies. Was that yeah. lime? It would have been lime. Would have been lime. Yeah. yeah. And you've got the um, the branches sort of out of focus, but in front. And you've just got all these sacks with bodies in them lying there. Yeah. And it's with the dramatic Mozart obviously score over it but you're, you're just there watching this person who's been Mozart this this genius this brilliant uh, as Salieri describes it instrument of God just lying mm. destroyed and broken and that is ultimately the point of this film it it's is like how... someone got a Stradivarius violin and was like I might hit this against a table yeah, for but, a uh, while or more specifically just like I'm just going to slowly pile more rocks on top of it until <laughs> See it what shatters happens. while pretending to be the violin's friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like oh I'm sorry are these rocks heavy <laughs> oh. I'll but talk to the emperor about getting rid <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it this this is the thing i think which is really fantastic in terms of a storytelling mechanism is is seeing one man destroy another man purely out of jealousy yeah. mm. and the fact that salieri was so committed to that but at the same time was conflicted by the fact that he was uh, speaking purely about the characters because obviously yeah. there are people out there who are probably going it's not true it's and they, they're probably they, right they actually work together they weren't as big rivals as these this film and these musical plays make out and mm. it's but in terms of like as as characters the character of Salieri Ooh. and his flipping back and forth on oh whether whether or not I should go through with this and ultimately how how he ultimately does destroy Mozart is compelling and also oh, how he really can't is. stop himself yeah as well like he will in almost every big move that he makes early on especially um like the the bit that you yelled out a lot at which oh, was God, which bit i yelled a yeah, lot yeah she did yell a lot you also pre- <laughs> you also predicted a lot a lot Thank of the time you, you guys you. would be like this. oh it would be so funny if this happened i'll just look over at you guys going all right yeah, yeah let's just wait it happened about <laughs> five times i reckon but what was the bit that anna was yelling at yeah. uh or that was bit? the bit was i guess it? we've kind of jumped away we from have, we telling have the story a bit. was it the bit with the wife though yes yes uh when the bit where she came back after, oh, give, oh, after yeah, she'd given the manuscripts. Yeah. yeah, so to get you up to speed, we're presuming you've watched the film. Um, yeah. And we're mm. also presuming you're listening to this maybe the next day because it is a long film. <laughs> um, but yes, after Mozart is brought to Austria and impresses the court, uh, but he's, he's slightly vulgar and the, particularly the Italian uh, composers are yeah. not, not a fan. Not to mention the scene that um, Salieri kind of witnesses... Um, when he first meets when Mozart. he first meets Mozart, oh, and when we wriggling around Mozart, under a table, with wriggling a around under a table, thing. yeah, and feeling her up and yeah. mm. motorboating her as well. I mean, yeah. they do later get married, so it's kind of okay. 
Yeah. To an extent. I mean, but there's kind a time of. and a place. And, oh, you know, yeah. The, 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 you know, and when the, you're being introduced to the <laughs> Duke. Oh, the court, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that wasn't the emperor. That was like of the course. Duke of... The Duke Archbishop of... Salt of Vienna or something. Was a hat guy. Was it? Anyway, he was important, and yeah. it was inappropriate. It would be yes. no. It was Vienna because um, mm. Salieri never leaves Vienna. That's right. And Mozart is from Salzburg. Yes. There we okay. go. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we we were introduced to Mozart, this sort of Johnny Rotten figure, this sort of like <laughs> punk music equivalent of classical um, classical With music. With that laugh. Oh, oh the laugh. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was SpongeBob. Hold on. No, um, <laughs> don't. How how does one do that laugh? I, I think maybe you should just edit it in. Okay, you know, what? Yeah. The, you know, what? here is a clip of the laugh now, <laughs> and that happened a lot during the film. Oh, uh, it so did. Much. Yeah, um, but it worked though. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was distinctive. Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that it comes back right at the end of the film when Salieri is going, yeah. being taken through the asylum, going, "I forgive you, I forgive you," and you can just hear the very this last thing. distinctive laugh over the top of it. <laughs> I did but. enjoy the scene where Salieri is trying to slink through that party. And he hears the laugh and he's like, he's here. Yeah. I know he's here. He's somewhere. I'll yeah. find him. And mm. it is really interesting seeing how Salieri's obsession ultimately destroys himself. Yeah. Because, In a way, yeah. Because, I mean, we don't see it because thankfully Salieri doesn't then explain the 32 years after Mozart oh, died. Oh, I would have left. Um, yeah. But, but, he, but he does say he's a broken man. He's tried to kill himself. He, his music is forgotten in his own lifetime. Yeah. And he sees this... That must be crushing. Yeah. But he, but he sees this as basically like he went against God. He made this pact with God. And then he felt that God broke the deal. So he destroyed God's creation. And yeah. then to, to the phrase, to see myself become extinct within my own lifetime is, is punishment for that. But he's yeah. not repentant. No, he, he's not. No, he's like literally like, this is, sorry. Yeah. this is everything that's meant to happen. Yeah. You, yeah. We had this deal. You broke it. I broke it. You'll obviously keep trying to punish me yeah. and I'm going to keep trying to punish you. Yeah. yeah. And he's basically gone, you know, it's like I've rejected God and there is a price to pay for that. But at the same time, do I regret it? No. Nope. Would I do it I, again? I, yep. I took down a champion of God. Like, yeah. you know, the, and, the, the, you know, Salieri is egotistical. You know, he even says, oh, yeah, God, yeah, people like me. I like me. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, in a no, weird... that, was, that was a Mozart line. No, no, it was. Um, oh no, that was that yeah. was old man Salieri. Yeah, because yeah. he... the priest is like, I don't like you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it was slightly Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. that was yeah that was that was Would my point. I'd have me anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so Salieri, it's just fascinating seeing seeing him, and I think this is why F. Murray Abraham got got the Academy Award mm. over Tom Hulse because Tom yeah. Hulse's char- character creation is brilliant, but Salieri is just. He feels he, real. He feels real. He's moving in so many different circles. He's sort of switching emotional tones. He's desperate. He's conniving. Um, and at the same time, despite the fact we know what he's doing, we feel empathy for him. Yeah, I certainly uh, did. Mm. Like, well, when, when did you most feel empathy for him? Because mm. um, for me, it was, it was whenever he witnessed Mozart's genius. genius. Yes, it was so interesting to see because of... In the movie, he basically goes to all of Mozart's major mm. new operas and productions. And you can just see, and when he talks about it to the priest, he's talking about how it's just the most amazing, transcendent, beautiful thing. And then he's like, I got to kill him. I got to kill him. Yeah, And he also says that the worst part of it for him is that there's only two people who know how brilliant Mozart is. Yeah. And it's Mozart and Salieri. And like literally... You know, he's the only one who can experience how good it is, mm. and he's still got to 
destroy it, blow yeah. it up. Because for everyone else, there's this problem of it. It's too brash. It's not right. You know, for the for the uh, Emperor Joseph, it's kind of like well, it's too many notes. It's, yeah, it's too good, many notes. but the I, ear can only hear so many notes yeah, in one evening. The royal ear is only accustomed to <laughs> to mm. a certain level of work. Uh, but yeah, the fact that it, it, you can understand why Salieri as a character just feels as yeah. though he is being tormented. He's he's essentially almost like a, a an 18th century Sisyphus. Because it's this. almost it's like he wants to stand up and just shout. Can't like can't you see what he's doing? Mm. What he's making is so much better mm. than mm. anything we've got. And than we you, will than have. you, than you, than me. Yeah, it's better than, than all anyone. of us. And I'm the only one who sees that. Yeah, and because of this thing that I've got to do, I've yeah. also got to destroy it. Because mm. I am, on the inside, just dying with jealousy. Mm. It's it's just absolutely wonderful. I, I think it's... It, when I saw the play at the start of this year, mm. um, I was completely blown away by it. Yeah. Who um, played um, Salieri in that? Was it like a, a big name? Or? It, no, but it, I mean, it was a well-known theatre name, but it was, it was actually played by... Um, by a black guy. Oh, because ooh, it, that was, it, was, it was mixed racial casting. Oh, okay. Uh, so Mozart was played by a white guy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Salieri by a black guy, and he had this um, quite deep sort of Afro-Caribbean type uh, accent to it. To oh, to be like the Italian accent. A little bit. It was oh, a that's little bit clever. like that. Um, I can't remember his name. How but, dare um, you? Just trying to look it up. Yeah, but he was as good as F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, he's he's performing in a theatrical capacity. So it's very different. It's very different. Obviously, there's no priest. No, <laughs> no one can sit on the stage for three hours yeah. and look that bored. Um, but well, no, the audience has to do that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, the, the actor in... The, to be honest, um, I think Armadeus is a production, regardless of whether it's a play or a film, that you need the best possible actors for. Mm. Oh, for, you've, you've got and, to. They've got to carry this mm. beast on their backs. Because it is long. Yeah. In, in any version of it, it is a long production. And it is too long. Um, yeah, a little a little bit. But at the same time, not, I'm, I was thinking, like, well, what would I cut? Would I, I'd probably cut a little bit from Mozart's slumming around in the vaudeville a little bit. I'd maybe see less of it. But at the same time, it's all done well. Yeah. Uh, yeah Salieri is played by Lucian Massamati. That's who the guy. Was I'm just looking through. He was, oh, he was Salador San, the pirate in Game oh. of Thrones. Mm, that guy. Um, right. Who I'm just going through. Yeah. Um, what does he look like? Flip the phone. Uh, oh, oh, it's that guy. That guy, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He, the, he, um, I think he's yeah, um, Doctor um, Who as well. The Knight's friend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is. An amazing Salieri. He, oh, I can see that yeah. now. I can totally if, see if, that. Um, if, if I'm going to say, obviously, people, you know, watch the film. It's great. But if after you've recovered, you can get the National <laughs> Theatre version, um, go and see it because that production is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see it now. He was. Oh, he was also in Doctor Who. He was in the first season with Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. He was the Venetian the, the guy. Vampires. Yeah, yes. the Venetian guy who blew himself up to try and get the the vampires. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so... Oh, he's just always dying somewhere in Italy. Pretty much. <laughs> um, no, that was Austria. Damn it. Uh, Vienna and Venice. Couldn't you, couldn't, let, couldn't you let me have that? <laughs> no! <laughs> Technically, at that time, Italy was like part of Austria. No, it's okay. It's, it's part fine. Of the it was a bad joke. Austro-Hungary Empire, yes. I'm, I'm going to count you. I'm going to count oh, you. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give it to you too. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, there was still... 1848 hadn't happened yet. <laughs> oh, those classic European revolution oh. references that make this... Such I did a, feel that in that one bit where, hang he, out for. where the emperor was like, and my dear sister Antoinette is even talking about how she's frightened in her own country. And I wanted to be like, write to her and tell her to get out. <laughs> Pack up her kids and move. Well, she did. Well, yeah. She got caught. <laughs> Just too late. <laughs> yeah. 
I can just imagine, like, I always think about that when the, um, like, when um, Mozart walks in and, like, you know, there's all these people standing yeah. around, the Emperor's playing the piano. I was like, I wonder how he knew he was the Emperor. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, because he's on all the money. Hmm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And apparently that was one of the ways that King Louis got caught, is that you know, this peasant almost sitting there just going, Hold on a minute. Wait, look like holding up a coin and then <laughs> like holding turn up. your head to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Also because they thought they were packing like peasants and they uh, still had yeah. enough food to like kill a man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Armory. where I was for you. Yeah. Um I just wanted to touch a little bit on um Mozart's wife. Um yes. Constanza. Yeah, Stanza uh, or or Frau Mozart, she's also referred to in this film quite a lot. Mm. It's a really interesting performance. It is and, and it's one yeah. that um, I think, again, she she does a really, really excellent job in this film because it's a character that, in a lot of ways, is a little bit unsympathetic, particularly... I mean, obviously, she, she ultimately, she abandons Mozart, but at the same time, she abandons him for pretty pretty sound reasons. Yeah, she's like, my husband is now unstable to a point where I'm quite oh, worried yeah. and I can't help him. And I'm going to take my small child and leave. Yeah, mm. and, you know, that's completely understandable. But at the same time, you do, like, when she comes back and she's like, you know, I'll do anything for you. And it's like, it's kind of a bit late. Like, but but yeah. at the same time, it almost feels, though, that is part of Sally Ellie's, like, Machiavellian messing around of, like, yes, I'm going to remove all your support networks so that you'll just crumple and, and die. And I'll just dress up I, like I don't a think ghost. I don't think uh, Mozart needed help getting rid of his a lot of his support structures. No, he was good at that. No, okay, fair enough. He did do <laughs> but, I mean, but even right to the end, you can see he's still got people like um, the friend... The Simon Callow's character. Oh, yes. People oh, yeah, who the, were trying to check up on him. Yeah, the vaudeville guy. The vaude villain. Yes. <laughs> people who were trying to check up on him and see... In a bird costume. In a bird costume. <laughs> and all right, he was pumping him for a play like 20 minutes earlier. Hmm. But there are still people in his life who could help. Yeah. And he just he can't see it or he doesn't want to see it mm. or he's too far gone. But mm. yeah, um, Elizabeth Barrage was the, yes. the actress. I don't think I've seen her in anything no, else. No, a lot of these people her, you hadn't yeah. seen in anything else since. Her like... next biggest credit after Amadeus, according oh. to IMDb, is Hildardo or Hildargo. The, uh, oh, the um, Viggo Mortensen horse, oh. film, horse film. Yes. Um, right. Now, I haven't seen that, but that was the only other film I recognised on there. So. Yeah. Huh. Um, but this is a great performance and... Um, it's a solid performance. Yeah, mm. it it is solid, but it really, and it it's almost an unforgiving role in a lot of ways because you're, the you know it's the it's the wife of the brilliant man character. Yeah, they're never very flattering. No, and um, in the play as well, like it's equally as convoluted a kind of character, but it also has the added thing of being the only female part with speaking lines Oy. in it. Mm. In the play version, there is. Uh, let's see, there's Constanza, there's Salieri's wife. Salieri has a wife in the film. She's mm-hmm. very frigid and dull and Christian, uh, which is exactly what he wanted to do when he just the got there. Yeah, sounds like but his not, not woman. Not just the celibacy, but also the... Um, I'm just not going to enjoy myself in any way. Yeah, yeah, the, the stern Christianness mm-hmm. of it, yeah. I guess. And there is the, um, the, the, the pupil. The first oh, yes. people, the one... Um, the rich guy's daughter? Yeah, the one that looked like a um, peppermint, as you said. Oh, no, the opera singer. Yeah, the yeah. opera singer, right. yeah. she um, She's there as well, and she has no line. She comes along, she sings, she goes back, and then the next time you see her, I think is act two, when he's broken all his promises, mm. and now Salieri is sleeping with her. Um, so mm. that's literally all the three characters. So a lot of emphasis is 
put on Costanza because she is mm. also because she's got to act. She's a child yeah. as well. She's mm. a, a similar thing to Mozart without being Mozart. But in this film, uh, we do have more female characters. Much more female yeah. characters. We have, yes. we have the mother-in-law who accidentally inspires the, the magic flute. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind which, of uh, that, that was very clever. Yeah. Um, there is... Um, there's a lot of incidental characters, but there is... Um, uh, the lady from Sex and the City played the Cynthia maid. Cynthia Nixon. Yes, Cynthia the, Nixon. Sneaky, yeah. Uh, the sneaky maid. Yeah. Yeah. Who like, wasn't she, that sneaky? Yeah, no, she looks like 12 or yeah, something. Yeah, she's very young in this. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it, 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 I think it is interesting that in doing this film adaption that they've tried to flesh out the world a bit more because mm. you can do that a little bit in a film which admittedly is three hours long it needs a lot of fleshing <laughs> and when yeah and when it's just a film where you, well it's just a play where you can have Salieri get up and just say well actually this happened and yeah. it was really interesting and I'm going to talk about my emotions about it I have which, feelings yeah exactly mm-hmm. where in that you've got you've got you to know, show the feelings yeah you've got to have it on the face and like Salieri is quite quiet for most of it and he mm-hmm. like a lot of it comes from his face of watching something happen mm. so that's obviously where uh, Milos Foreman really wanted to yeah hone in on that yeah well basically yeah yeah show his craft as mm. opposed to putting a camera in front of a play and just letting it go mm. which is exactly what you saw yes the other character which yes. we have to touch on though is it is, Mozart it's Leopold Mozart <laughs> Stephen held up his arms like the um, ghost Like did. the guy, his dad. Yeah. Which, he's... that's another prediction you got, which is, yes. oh, is that from the poster? I'm like, yeah, yeah it kind of is. And I think I've, I realised, because I've seen that poster quite a lot over the years. And when I was younger, because I, I played, I've played piano since I was about five. Mm. And I love classical music. It's, it's far more my thing to play than anything contemporary, probably because I'm not very good at playing contemporary. And I always remember, I, I now think about it, I've seen that poster a lot and gone, no, that looks scary. I, I don't want to watch, watch that. that. I, I'm not about that. Even well, though I was like, oh, Amadeus Mozart, but it looks scary. But now you know, because every time somebody mentions or looks at like a painting of the father. <laughs> this is mm. huge crash. It's <laughs> <laughs> resounding. Uh, it's, <laughs> Which, but, while predictable, still works. Yeah. It works every time. So it, it, it made you kind of jump a couple of times. Yeah. It makes you just like, this film's long. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> There is that bit, like and it's like just turn the painting to the wall, get rid of it, yeah, put it in another room, <laughs> yeah. Don't have no. him watch I guess it's you all about you're... like that. The play doesn't have his father. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, particularly in it, um, he mentions blah blah his father, his father, his father, yeah. and um, I think at this point, I think it's a lot of like 1984 was essentially the beginnings to the middling rise of like the, the top area of Spielberg. And if you've yes. never noticed, Spielberg puts so many parental issues, yeah, like daddy issues into all his films. Shit. Even like, if you look at Indiana Jones, which was mostly, you know, it was an equal creation between him and George Lucas. Yeah. When they got to the third one, you can literally see him just going, all right, can we, can we please put some daddy issues into this? <laughs> uh, like, come on, we'll Do put his dad in. they need to talk to their fathers? I is think, what I'm I, getting. I think George Lucas does. Yeah, yeah. And, and Spielberg. <laughs> oh, Spielberg definitely does. Like, yeah. Just sit down and have a chat. It's yeah. all right. I mean, that's a good point. I, I, having, obviously, we talked about Empire a lot last week, but I've just realised, <laughs> if George Lucas's dad was around when Empire came out and he went and saw that film, how would that make you feel? Where it's like, oh. A lot of, of side-eye yeah. in the cinema. Yeah. You know, George, is this how you see me? Did I do a bad job raising you, George? Oh, 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 bad. Like... Just uh, don't talk about it, Dad. 
<laughs> I also, um, somebody told me this really interesting. I mean, I don't want to go on to Star Wars, especially not Rogue One, because that's what this podcast every, seems every to week. Every week, someone brings up Rogue One for some reason. I'll but, allow it. But the idea of like Luke as Luke Skywalker becomes even more interesting in The Last Jedi, because it is all about the world hating on Luke Skywalker. And him hating them back. Oh. And that's exactly what happened to George Lucas. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah. So, to get back... Though, yes. To yeah. But, yeah, you can <laughs> yeah. cut that bit. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's fine. We'll, we, I'm sure we can make a comparison. Uh, Luke Skywalker is like Mozart. Yeah. Uh, he goes a bit nuts. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Um, Bad relationship with his father. Yeah, yes. there we go. The character of Mozart. Yes. Ultimately. Did, did we like this depiction of, of this character as this almost like um, bratty genius that almost... I mean, doesn't it, it suffers the fate of so many like young, brilliant musicians yeah. in dying in early the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah, I mean, in, in this case, thirty five. But yeah, mm. it, it, that's it, still yeah. very young. It is still very young, even for for the day. That's only ten years older than for I. For rich people during the day, yeah. Mm. Although he really wasn't rich, he was pretty much always in debt. Which yeah. was another thing that his wife was portrayed as. Oh, she's the boring bad guy. Well, not bad guy, but she's so boring because she wants to talk about money. Mm. And all she was the time. also. Um, I don't think it was ever really mentioned, apart from that she was the daughter of a landlady. But she was. She's not wealthy. No, she was quite poor. Mm. Um, so you can And she was marrying way up. Her, mm. But her constantly going, I get that you need to write and be creative, and that's fantastic, mm. and that's wonderful. But how are we going to feed our child yeah. and keep me in big hats? Yeah. These are both <laughs> issues. Mm. <laughs> They were big issues, as big as the hats. Yeah. She had some good hats. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately, I I quite liked this portrayal of Mozart. Yeah. I actually think I prefer it more than the, the National Theatre one. Just one you saw. Because that one was even more turned up, I would say. Oh, like on, too much Mozart? Uh, not, not, not that there was too much, but just that there was too much coming out of one actor. Like, um. it, was, <laughs> it was great, and it worked for the performance, but I think I preferred this one. I think you got to have some quieter moments of introspection he felt like a guy you could know well i mean he f- actually looks like a guy that we know yes, yeah he does. yeah he we couldn't stop thinking almost about exactly that. like a friend of ours called tom it's freaky yeah, yeah. also called tom yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> but yeah it was i think those quieter moments of where we really saw um why tom Hulse was nominated for an academy award and why yeah. this was a, why it's such a great performance because he, he plays this this broken genius and slowly the genius even though it's there it it gets stripped away until he's just this shell i think my favorite performance parts of him in terms of like when you're seeing it is those bits where he's only just starting to crack Mm. like especially those early bits where he's like like he's trying to look for pupils and he's trying to beg salieri to help and salieri's playing along nicely and you just watch him every now and then just like and like you know really start to go a little mental and I guess when you think about it, like, mm. yeah, he was this wonderful genius, but if that didn't work out, what else was he going to do? Yeah. That was his only thing that he knew how to do. Yeah. It's like, not like he, he had, had another play. trade or something else to fall back on. Well, he would have probably ended up not composing. Like, you know, in the final bit, he's playing the little um, pianoforte yes. thing in the end, which is where when he collapses. So I have a feeling. Oh, that was so sad. That was yeah, but yeah, he would have probably just ended up basically in being a, no, a nobody, a nobody piano player, a nobody for hire. Yeah. yeah. Although there was a moment when he was partying with the the vaudevillians in that tiny shack in the snow, <laughs> where he almost invented the blues. Like it was like half a second <laughs> where it was like, oh, wait. There's a few jazzy bits too. Yeah. Like if it was an actual piano, not like a high pitched yeah. pianoforte. You would have been like. 
Yeah. <laughs> Would you guys like some trivia? Depends how much. Um, Three hours worth of <laughs> trivia. I have yeah. class tomorrow. <laughs> Several professors of music have stated, after studying all the musical keys struck on pianos throughout the film, not one key is struck incorrectly. Wow. I did notice a few of them where I was like, oh, he's clearly, or whoever's playing, if not the Mm. actor, they're clearly playing what is being heard. But that's wonderful. That is quite impressive because... Well, let's so see. many films you watch and you're like, oh, what are you doing what about with your like hands? The, what about the violins as well? Like, because you see a lot of orchestra shots. I as guess well. they just got an orchestra. Yeah. Because if it's a non-speaking part, just get an actual one. Just imagine bringing an orchestra. Do you guys know Mozart? <laughs> yeah, we've heard of him. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for the violin guys, but for um, F. Murray Abraham, he actually learned how to conduct. Hey. As part oh. of this, he, he went and uh, learned to read and conduct music. Good man. And similarly, Tom Hulse spent six hours a day for six months learning to play the piano. So oh, he could play all those childhood. Mozart pieces. Wow. Like, and he, like when he's playing them upside down. And he even down, played the upside down bits correctly. No, yeah, he learned to do that. Like, That's that, crazy. that is him playing that. Now, the, uh, do you reckon he had six mates over every day just to <laughs> play it upside down? They're like, Tom, we can't keep doing this. We have jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, we bought you a couch. <laughs> Just yeah. lie on that. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, and, and the fact that he learned that and the way that they did it live as well, because um, when, when they were filming it, is they would play the music. So the anyone that was playing the piano fortes was playing it in time with the music because obviously they couldn't really use the music that was yeah. being played on set because the sound wouldn't be right. But they were playing perfectly in time. The keys were all matched. It, the, the, the respect for the music That makes me very happy. So it was like karaoke Literally, in, yeah. a, in a way, oh, yeah. like it was literally like the empty orchestra, and then you're the orchestra on top of that. Uh, when shooting the scene where Salieri is writing down the death mass under Mozart's dictation, uh, Tom Hulse deliberately skipped lines to confuse F. Murray Abraham in order to achieve the impression that Salieri wasn't fully able to comprehend the music being dictated nice. to him. The death mask, as well, M A S Q U E. Oh yes. If um, which means some sort of song. Um, in the play version, I don't know because there's multiple endings for like, there's kind of four different endings. There's two for the play and two for the movie. We've right. just watched the director's cut as oh, okay, well. Oh, okay, yes. Um, where that, but in the play, at least the version I did, and probably the one you saw too, mm. they, um, the, is a question about who the mysterious figure is. It doesn't get admitted to be... Oh, so they never say it's Salieri. It's never said it's Salieri. In fact, in the version I did, Salieri literally goes, no, it was some weird eccentric uh, rich guy who was knocking on his door and drove him insane. Called Salieri. Um, no, no, it wasn't even Salieri. It was nobody. So it was, it was just, just some it was just weird a random, guy. It was a random nobody servant who like looks super gaunt, like ah. the kind of Pete Postlewaite kind of looking guy. Yeah. And yeah, because that's how it's meant to be done. And then I think in a few other versions, um, after people had gotten used to that fact of the story, they actually turned it into being Salieri. Like they pull it away and it was Salieri. So people who'd gone to see it again. Was a big reveal. Was like, oh, okay. And obviously it's much more dramatic if it's Salieri. Oh, God, yeah. Because even in the play, when he says it, it goes, oh, it wasn't me. It was some weirdo. You're like, oh. Um, in, during his like big confession to the audience, he's like, oh, yeah. So the big thing that actually probably killed him wasn't me. So it does defeat that thing. But I guess what keeps defeats the idea of Mozart being destroyed by Salieri because it was this other thing. It was just 
Salier is generalized pressure. Yeah. And then this old thing came, this old guy came in to kind of. Salier was like, cool, I can work with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, yeah, cool. If you died, he died. That's kind of. I'll take the credit. Yeah, take the credit. The young boy at the party that Mozart smiles at. Do you remember that little freckly? Yes, boy? I did. I thought that was. No. Setting oh, up. yes. Yes. That is uh, reportedly, it's supposed to be a young Beethoven. Beethoven. Ah. Yeah. That's a, obviously, Beethoven was. Uh, just knocking around as a kid at the time. So it is conceivable they could have been in the same space. <laughs> so the there is a sequel follow-up kind of thing. We <laughs> joked about we had to wait for the end to watch our Amadeus Age of Ultron trailer. But um, <laughs> um, The performance of Don Giovanni in the film yes. was mm. performed on the same stage where the opera first appeared. <gasps> so they went to Austria. Yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. Mm. Ah. Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And then knowing that, watching it in this yeah. is like... Oh, that is actually kind of That's nice. I, I got to admit, though, when he burst through the um, the wall like that, it made me laugh like so much because it seemed like I such did a... a little bit. I was like, "Is that not meant to?" Ha- oh no, it's fine. We yeah. expecting him to go. Oh yeah. Well, that or like the, or like some weird professional wrestling thing. Like, <laughs> if you ever guys get the chance, look up this video of the Shockmaster, and it's this guy who's meant to burst through a. Um, a door he's like announced by Sting or like or one of the wrestlers called Sting and it's like our next tag team partner will shock the world because he is the shock master and he's meant to burst through this door and kind of Does come out and work? he's actually just this big fat guy in a glittery stormtrooper helmet <laughs> I kid you not and he only breaks half of it and just falls flat on his face <laughs> and the stormtrooper helmet just goes tumbling off and he picks it up and puts it back on it's like the most famous professional wrestling thing it's like this character's never been seen before and just done and nobody <laughs> and cared out. about him ever yeah. since again oh that, no that would yeah. do. the entire film was shot with natural light in order mm. to get the proper diffusion of light for some of the scenes the dp's covered window from the outside with tracing paper mm. so it was all it was all lighting techniques that were available at the time which so could, gas and candle yeah which is why it had such an interesting look in, in mm. terms of the way it was lit i don't like i was just thinking about it watching it i don't know if it translates so great digitally because no. of that but no but, I mean, but it wasn't bad but mm. now if like i would be curious to see it in obviously the celluloid form yeah because i think perhaps it i mean things look better on celluloid just in general yeah, yeah. but perhaps that particular technique um makes it look far more mysterious yeah and... mm. but I, I think it's interesting that you know they they are trying to create this this immersive world and i think they achieved it to oh, be honest yeah, oh, yeah. It is impressive that for a film that long, how long um, I, I felt my attention was held. It broke occasionally, you know. We'd be. I was bored it, like once, yeah, mm. very briefly. Which, I think it was that ending. Like I think that ending went on too long. Like you could have just been like, he had a hard time. He had a hard time. Now that was it. Yeah, yeah. Now he's As very sick. To, and you now had he's to died. see him have about four hard times. Introduce a new <laughs> character to pretend to be nice to him. Yeah, and. Um, the Simon Callow character, yeah. um, have him do that, then do some more, then do some more, and then... then and have some rich guys talk about, oh, it's so bad that Mozart's doing so badly for himself. Exactly. And then also have her come back, then talk for a bit, then leave the room. And then, then there's then like a fake out when you think he's dead, and then he's not dead. And Spoiler then the fake alert, out when Mozart you don't dies. Think he's <laughs> then when you don't think he's dead, he's he is, dead. Yeah. So... Um, it, it could have been shorter. But, yeah. But it's, but it's... Uh, it's still good. It's yeah, still, oh, gosh, it's yeah. still very well um, executed. It, it, it feels, and I guess this is like a backhanded compliment. It does feel like a best picture. Yeah, in terms of its length, in terms of its 
um, not itself profession or like professing itself to be that long because it needs to be and whether it does or not like there's a lot of um it's quality but it could do with a a cut here or there yes director's cuts are usually slightly more self-indulgent aren't they they are and that because i mean it's their baby and they don't want to cut anything to go which you can understand yeah no you can and but i think also at the same time like i just watched in the last couple of weeks i just watched the current best picture winner the Shape of Water. Oh, is that good? I haven't seen it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively good, but oh. there's a few points where I'm like, oh, this is just in it for the... Is m- it better than Crimson Peak? Everything is better than Crimson Peak. Yeah, that was not because good. I haven't seen Crimson Peak. Oh, okay, it, with Crimson Peak, I saw that in the cinema, not because I wanted to see it, but because a friend of mine, it was their birthday. Um, and <laughs> Oh, I it, remember your Facebook status yes, about that. Yes, We're off the, topic again, but in, anyway. <laughs> it's In the first 10 minutes, a ghost comes out and says, stay away from Crimson Peak. And that was actually a review of the film, <laughs> not, not the actual warning. They You've think, recycled that joke, but it's still funny. Hey, it is look, good. I'm all about recycling, okay? Save the planet. <laughs> tell old jokes (laughs) the Don Giovanni scene was uh, being shot on the 4th of July during one take when Milos Forman called action a large American flag was unfurled from the ceiling now they were filming this in um, communist Prague at the time yeah like in the eastern bloc 500 extras stood up from their seats and began to sing the Star Spangled Banner the only extras that didn't stand up were about 30 people scattered throughout the theatre it turns out that they were members of the Czechoslovakian secret police. Oh mm. my god! I mean, this film was watched a lot by um, officials. Like Milos Forman had to have an official driver who, because he he essentially defected from um, yeah, because from yeah. Uh, well from communism essentially. Uh, and when he came back to make this film, the the government there were basically saying, "Okay, you're one of your best friends from childhood. They're going to be your driver. And if anything political happens, we know where your best friend lives." That's what that was essentially. That's very clever. Yeah, I don't like it, but it's clever. And to finish, yes. let's look at some of the actors that could have played Mozart. Mm. So I just want a simple yes, no, whether or not you think uh, this actor would have been better or worse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, <laughs> God, that can't be serious. He said in an interview. He's about to, the right height. He said in an interview in 2013 that he was offered the role but turned it down. Um, good. Uh, yeah, that's a no yeah. from me. Before yeah. I go on, I just wanted to mention another casting thing. I don't know if it comes up, but in the first Broadway version in America, you've got that? I do. Ah, yes. Ooh. So we'll go on. I've got a picture to accompany it. Okay. Well, there are two actors in particular uh, that have played Mozart on stage as part of the, the, the play version. Uh-huh. Tim Curry. Oh. And his Salieri was... Uh, I don't have his Salieri. His Salieri? Oh, yes, I do. Sorry. Oh, uh, God. All right. Ian McKellen. Oh, what? Yes. Oh, that's... Check it oh, out. There's a that photo. that is good. Yes, uh, there is a very good photo of, yes, uh, Tim and Ian. That is excellent. With, with a chair. It makes you just realise, that like, I need to go out and see, like, everything just so Dang. I can make sure that I've almost seen, like, the future version of the, t- you know, the 2030s Tim Curry and Ian yeah. McKellen. In something where they just were there. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. how I saw them back in the day. Yeah. Now just imagine Ian McKellen as Sally Ann. Oh, he would be... Oh, I really love Ian McKellen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making a lot of noises. That's okay. We, we, we know you love Ian McKellen. I do so yeah. much. Um, one of the other actors who uh, was considered, uh, who has played uh, Mozart on stage, Mark Hamill. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. And, you know, I think he, he could do a Mozart pretty well. He could do the giggle. Yeah, he good could. Point. He would have had that laugh down pat. To be fair, I've never seen him as anything apart from Luke Skywalker, so mm. I've okay. got a very tunnel vision in my head. Uh, a few other potential Mozarts. Mel Gibson. No. Oh. Christ. Uh, Mick huh. Jagger. Beginning Mozart, yes. Yeah, I don't but think he'd I be able to get the rest. But I don't think he could have been sad Mozart. Um, now, this next actor was actually cast. Uh, they were very, very young at the time. Eric oh. Stoltz. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't Eric Stoltz. Um, <laughs> and then Michael J. Fox came was in. Was it me? And... It was um, a very young actor. Milos Forman changed uh, his mind and decided to go with American actors for the principal roles. Uh, a very young Kenneth Branagh. Ooh. Oh, that would have... How young is very young? Uh, however old he is now, take away about 33 years. Also oh, in his sort of mid-twenties. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it yeah. would work. Sometimes I feel like Kenneth Branagh takes himself too seriously. Mozart, Mozart killed took himself, himself writing a requiem. <laughs> he would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Fine, fine. I take it back. And finally... I mean, he's still a very good actor. Mm. He is. And finally... David Bowie. Oh. This is around the time period? Like, no, obviously no. No, yeah. It would have been interesting to see. Yeah, no, it wouldn't have been bad. I would have loved to have seen him doing the um, Salieri impression on the little piano forte at the party, Mm. just pulling faces. Maybe he could have played Salieri, who knows? Yeah. Mm. I'm going to destroy his life (laughs) from afar. Yeah, the only part's like when Mozart's kind of singing along to bits. You can just imagine it getting a little bit like a slower tempo for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that brings us to the end. Uh, all mm. that remains is to score the film. Yes. So Anna, as our uh, score the film, uh, Anna, as our first, <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, C with a um, libretto start, um, the sotto voce. <laughs> Uh, Anna, write, that, write that down. Right. Sotto voce. Yeah, quickly, quickly. <laughs> um, as our as our guest who has not seen the film before, yes. Anna, what score would you give Amadeus out of ten? I would give it eight point five. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. It was, look, it was long, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was a trek, but I think it was definitely worth it. Good, Jason, as our guest who has seen it, I would give it. Oh, I think. I think I dropped a lot, if I'm honest. I feel like the first half of this film is a lot better yeah. than the second. And they also feel quite separate. Like, you never go back to court. Like, the Emperor appears probably a bit after halfway, and then he's yeah. never seen again. When he drops, like, the Emperor's just out of the it picture. It does sort of change from this huge ensemble piece to this very two-character-driven... Two yeah. Almost like a locked room situation where yeah, they're just and that's duking where you, it out. And that's where you meet... Um, Birdman. Simon Callow. Simon Callow. I swear he had a character name. For a second I thought Michael Keaton was in this film. <laughs> I missed it. Yeah, or um, Gary He was Cole. hiding under yeah. someone's skirt the whole time. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. My, my, I think I would give it... Oh, I reckon I'd probably only give it seven. That's all right. Yeah, seven. Okay. Yeah. I, I score things really high. Mm. I gave... Well, I gave Back to the Future like a ten mm. um, when we watched it. Solid so, film. Yeah. Mm. Very solid. Ooh. And for for me, <laughs> yes, um, I I enjoyed it. I, I think it's a very good film. It's a long film. I'm not probably not going to watch it again this year. Let, yeah, let's me neither. Fair. I think I'm good for a decade. I don't think mm. I have enough time this year That's to true. sit down and watch <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but it's very well put together. There are some slight issues, I think, that have dated it a little bit. But certainly, 
I think it holds up a lot better than a lot of other films released in 1984. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. So for me, I think I would have to give it eight uh, nipples of Venus oh, out of ten. Oh, God. Those delicious, sweet booby Stop. treats. <laughs> Salieri was just suggestively eating the whole time. <laughs> and then he saw uh, Stanzi's nipples of Venus and... Uh, Called him the servant. Mm. And then was rude about them. He was. I almost feel as though that, that little sequence just before we finish where she starts taking the clothes off and yes, the, the corset's a problem with the way that it opens. It's it, the That's another 20-minute that... conversation. That's fine. Okay, but the issue is that it was front opening and they wouldn't have been around. <sighs> no. And, well, she... you didn't... and it had no straps. Yeah. 1700s corsets had straps. And she would have been absolutely screwed if she took it off because you yeah. need servants to put those clothes on. Mm. They didn't have a Basque closet like, at the front. Y- anyway. Did you know, Steve, I don't know if you know this. Please You'll do. know this. Yes. Um, that women and men have buttons that go different ways. Yes, women. Oh, I know this. Women are right over left because women are always right and men are left over right because men are the leftovers. Yeah, that's how that's... we that's how we remember it. <laughs> wow. That's but the reason effective. is the reason is um, men do it the right hand dominant if you're doing it yourself. Whereas women have someone to dress. Men, them. women would always oh. have somebody else, and if they're right hand dominant, which they were because they beat the crap out of you if you're left handed, mm-hmm. you were being done up. Yeah. So right. if every now and then when you're like, oh, this shirt's or something else, like I've been given costumes, um, and I've looked at the buttons, going, why are the buttons so yeah, weird? Yeah, why I'm is like, this? Oh, isn't this right. is because this is like women's pants that they've somehow changed into yeah. what I needed for the play. Well, so. I'm going to go home and check all my buttons now. Uh, yeah. but, but, but but it was it, just that scene where she took her clothes off or was taking off her clothes. I actually feel as though that maybe didn't need to be in the film. Like, as in going as far as being topless um, and then him rejecting her like that. It was effective and it was brutal. Yeah. But I almost feel as though it was, I guess, a little bit gratuitous. I think i think so yeah and and the the play he basically makes all the moves and then stops and does the same thing mm. i have a feeling because it's a movie, movie. Mm. you've got you to have something yeah you've got to show something and also like it's even i think um i think in interviews he said like we were it was 1984 in like the height of mtv and we we're going to be doing this classical play yeah it's like what can we do to fix it i don't think that was the answer but they always mm. tried to come up with interesting things like the lighting like the whatnot to yeah. try and get people's attentions potentially but mm. anyway that brings us to the end of our review yes it does of Amadeus. so yeah. anna and jason thank you very much for joining me on this episode oh thank you for having thank me. you and for those of you listening at home thank you very much for listening in if you want to subscribe to our channel we can be found at soundcloud or itunes or pretty much any other podcasting or podcatching service just search for the cinema catch-up club we're also on facebook where we can get uh, updates about uh, upcoming films and indeed vote on polls like this film you selected um so you just go to facebook and search for the cinema catch-up club and we are on patreon just go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast and if you become an official patreon member of the club there you get some extra bonus content here and there uh, but that is all for this week. Uh, Milos Forman, um, that that was our review in Memoriam to You, and um, I, I think ultimately a very well-respected filmmaker. Who, for good reason. For mm. good reason, and yes, uh, pro- has produced one film I've seen now, which <laughs> I really like, and uh, I'm going to have to catch up on the rest. Yeah, I think I'm going to go watch One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest now. You should also read the book, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, but that is all, so until next time, Goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.